Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 215. We're going around a quest of the galaxy instead of a galaxy quest. So this is, uh, we're, we're going to talk entertainment today uh, and not the quite so heady technological slash political slash economic uh, episodes that we've had the last few. Um, so I'm going to let, uh, well, I'm Chris, and today Matt is with me. And I'm going to let Matt kick it off. Really? Yeah. Uh, with what? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Uh, Entertainment. Science well, fiction related. NCIS related. What? Look, I'm, I'm super excited for, for Strange New Worlds. Coming up in early May. May 5th, baby. Um, going to overlap one episode with Picard, the season finale. And Picard has been amazing. I totally agree with you. Now, I, I will say this. I'm afraid that it's been super amazing because I've, I've been comparing it to Discovery. So I'm, I, I'm wanting to so, come back and watch it as a full season when it's done and see if I still feel, wow, this was amazing. Or if it's just, wow, it, it, this is so much better than... Well, since than, we're, we're going to start off with Trek, which... I can't blame you because Trek is still my favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, let, let's start with with Strange New Worlds. Um, it, if you haven't noticed, it's probably uh, between me and Matt, probably the the one Star Trek series that we've been hotly anticipating um, over the last eighteen months, ever since they said they were going to do it. Now I got some some concerns. With with it, uh, the some of the the characters on this show either should not be here or should not be here. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's get into that. So the a lot of new information has come out. We're we're at this point, we're exactly a month away uh, from it happening, which means that there's only five. We're halfway through Picard season two. Um, <clears throat> but they're putting out all the stops. So we've had four new trailers drop within the last seven days. Each character has like a 20-second, 30-second, like, sizzle reel. Correct. That, and, and, but but the trailers, well. there's been a trailer for Pike, a trailer for Una, or number one, and a trailer for Spock, and then there's been the show trailer. Now, the show trailer is kind of cool because not only did it add new material from all of the, the, the Pike, Una, and Spock uh, trailers, but then it added a whole bunch of new information, and I think that's where you're you're coming to. There's some stuff that doesn't make sense, and I was I forget what the name of the YouTube channel I was watching, but it, it's a the guy's from Ireland, and uh, he anything new on Star Trek, he comes out and he does, and they they analyze it, and there's a team of them that, <clears throat> and so there's a lot of consternation about even from them about Ahura because mm -hmm. Ahura is a cadet now. Yes. Ahura kind of makes sense because we do know that, like in um, in TOS, you know, the K they never aired the original pilot with Pike. They used that footage to create the, the cage or the menagerie. Um, I guess the cage was the name of the pilot, yes. and then they used it to make the menagerie and to introduce the Telosians and and that whole storyline. Um, but 
we do know that from the second or the you know the, the actual aired pilot with Kirk that not all the characters were what they ended up being you know so you see Sulu as in a science officer's uniform uh, I don't even think he was a lieutenant on that and then of course you know you had Gary Mitchell as the the uh, con officer and they had a different officer who was also a lieutenant commander who was the uh, or the, who was the helm Mitchell was the helm officer and then there was a different navigator there was no check off the whole first season um, I don't remember if seeing Uhura in the second pilot of TOS. Do you? But it doesn't mean she wasn't there. Scotty was like wearing lieutenant stripes. Well, out of all of the original TOS characters that uh, should or could appear in Strange New Worlds, Scotty is One. and Sulu is the other. Yeah. Those were the only two, Uhura, and they were in other. Yeah. Other Uhura things. could make sense as a cadet. Which is what they're bringing her in. Um, what doesn't make sense is Doctor Mbenga. Yes, Philip Boyce was the doctor yes. in the cage Correct. as the chief medical officer, and Mbenga comes back as a junior doctor under, under McCoy. McCoy. Yeah, which if he's the chief medical officer, he would not do. Yeah, continuity issue. If you that's my complaint about JJ Trek is continuity. And if I have to say anything, it's continuity. Now, I think there are a lot of Trek fans who are a lot more forgiving than oh, I am. Like yeah. the, this Irish guy who on his YouTube channel, he wants them to kind of retcon the whole Pike getting, you know, the neutronic radiation and ending up in the chair and all of that. Because he would like to see that go on farther. And I'm like, no, we, we definitely need that because that's a bookend. It's kind of like Star Wars was the bookend to Rogue One. Yeah. So we need we 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 know where that Pike is going to be. We just need to know how he got there. Yeah. That's the whole story. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, and that also that you know that's the growth story of Spock. Uh, it lets us know about more again, because the the one thing is Pike has always been a popular Star Trek character, but he was also one of the, him and Number One were also the two characters that people wanted to know more about, but never they never developed. Even though in the JJ Trek movies, Pike is a much more prominent character, uh, he still is not very developed as a character. Agreed. You know. But uh, the Ambigo one's a little head-scratcher. And it sounds like there's a little bit of time travel stuff going on in the show because there's also, in one of the trailers, there's a scene of the new Ahura in a full lieutenant's uniform with lieutenant stripes. Um, <clears throat> and so that was one of the things this Irish guy brought up. He had like 11 things that they got out of the trailer. I'm not a fan of Chapel being on the show either. And the other reason why I say that is there's the Dr. Roger Corby episode of TOS, where you learn a little bit more about her. Again, she she joined Starfleet to go find her husband. Yeah. And unless... That's not the vibe I'm getting from her. In her 30-second yeah. teaser, that's not what I got. Well, and my, from, my from curiosity... Her. I mean, I'm glad that they're adding some new people. And one of them makes perfect sense. Um, is a an actual... Chief of Security. Yes. <laughs> but my beef with that is who she is. Yeah. 
I, I don't need a Khan descendant before we even meet Khan. Yeah. Really? Well, you know, and, and again, she's wearing a red shirt in a TOS series, so there's no guarantee that she makes it out of season two or even season one. I think she will. And but they've tried they they've given a little more uh, backstory on her and I don't think her name is is soon Noonian soon mm-hmm. even yeah and so they're trying to there's this whole because it's Khan Noonian Singh and supposedly the the family after the eugenics wars changed their name to Soong. and so that then leads into you know data mm-hmm. and you know so they're trying to bring some continuity here but. According to, I think it was an interview with Kurtzman, might have been Akiva Goldsman, Goldsmith, whatever his damn name is, <laughs> uh, Akiva, Akiva. <laughs> uh, that they're not aware, at, you know, she's not aware at that point that they're descendants of Khan. And then obviously it's prior to them finding the Botany Bay, because that was in, you know, TOS with Kirk. Um, but there is another one the thing that I'm a little confused about with Strange New Worlds, and it's something that we won't find out. Uh, season one has been done for quite a while. It's just waiting for it to air in the rotation within the five Star Trek series that can air through a year. But they've uh, they've already it's already leaked that uh, Kirk is going to appear in season two, and he's. Supposedly wearing captain stripes, although I think it's hard to tell in the pictures that were taken. Um, it might be commander stripes, but nonetheless, James Kirk is going to appear in season two of Strange New Worlds, and uh, and he's in the scene with uh, the Noonian Singh, the the uh, chief security officer. So the, so we know she makes it to season two. <laughs> we don't know if she makes it out of season two, and then she's Tasha Yard. Or Denise Crosby, as we like to call it. Um, but I, I'm still very excited about the show. I mean, um, Discovery's been terrible for the last two seasons. And, and so I want to segue from Strange New Worlds, which I'm excited about, to the show that I want to go away. Um, the first season of Star Trek Discovery was okay. It was not great. Um, but... But it was good for considering the amount of drama behind the scenes. Correct. That it took to get that show on the air. And the stories were were good. And and there were some great stories in there. Uh, The the episode with Mud and Lorca is one of my all-time favorite Discovery episodes. That's a low bar. It is. Um, And then, but... You know, and they also didn't think they were going to, because of all the drama, that they were going to get a second season. So they wrapped everything up in a bow and, you know, Burnham got restored as a commander and now she's a science officer on that discovery. I didn't think that was good. That was a continuity buster. It, the, the suspension of disbelief was broken, you know, uh, at, at that point because it just would have never, things don't happen that way. But I understand why they did it. They didn't think they were getting a second season renewal. And so they wanted to make the show have some, you know, have a, a some resolution to all these these character storylines. 
And in reality, what should have happened in season one is that the first half of season one, before they went to the mirror universe, should have been season one, and the second half, when they went to the mirror universe, should have been season two. Um, the problem with that is the Klingon war thing. Now, the show was built to be like Axanar. Yeah. Which they didn't really deliver. No. Uh, and then it just became like the Zindi War. Where it it's did. Like, I was, I'm, I was ready yeah, for I that. I was ready to be for done. it to end. Exactly. Exactly. Because they didn't deliver on Axanar. Yeah. Well, and then um, you get into season two, and season two was wonderful. And that, the whole reason it was wonderful is the whole reason why Discovery sucks. Yes. And that is, you, they brought in Pike and Una and... Um, Spock. Spock and the security officer who... Yeah, non. Non. And they were great characters. And they brought in other great characters like Jet, Jet Reno, Reno and everything else. And... They took over the show for it. And even they developed Admiral Cornwall even more. And they took over the show and they were the ones you rooted for. And they were the characters that you identified with and you cared whether or not something good or bad happened. And actually, Burnham became somewhat likable in that season um, because of the entanglement with her mother and the, the Red Angel suit and, and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, that was... Uh, a, a big deal. And then they, you know, we then have this. The giant tri- leap forward. The, yeah, the giant <laughs> leap. The, the jump the shark moment. And we get Crybaby in season three. Yeah. And in reality, and I said this before, season three, like season one. Three actually had a fantastic story. The problem was the resolution. Yes. You invested so much in in the story, and then the resolution was so poorly crafted that it damaged the whole season. And four, well, the, four was just awful. Well, let's go back to season three. I don't, I don't want to talk to season four. Season three should have been... Like I said in about season one, should have been two seasons. There were two storylines going on that were diametrically opposed. Yeah. And one storyline you could have introduced in season three, and it should have been in what I think should have been season four, but the burn should have been the storyline for as the as the main arc storyline for season three. And the resolution <clears throat> should have not happened in the middle of the season. It should have happened at the end, and it should have had a real reason. And it should have been something that was much harder to overcome. Yeah. Season four should have been about the Emerald Chain and Osira. But the other thing you're forgetting about is the the condition of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're down to six six-member planets and very limited resources, Earth isn't even in it. And uh, you could have built a whole show around that. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is the... um, And the Emerald Chain bit was a part of that. Yes, the Emerald Chain and then the rebuilding of the Federation, getting the old member worlds to come back, should have been season four. And that should have been the story. And then 
the the concept I thought that was in the current season four about an alien race who was so far advanced they didn't even think that all these other ra alien races were sentient. Yeah. And so, and then it was super hard to communicate with them, and they had to figure that out. That that was a good storyline, but it was so poorly executed because they wanted to have more crybabying and they wanted to have this also season four stands out as the place where you really there's not very many likable characters that people can identify with and they have so many characters that are considered main characters in the crew that with the exception of Saru and Burnham they can't have them in every episode even I mean they can't even be in, as set decoration on the bridge in every episode because they're they're just they're they're not that important and when they did try like Owoshikan is a good example so they threw her into the episode with Burnham where she's gambling you know and she's supposed to be you know be this tenacious and she ends up boxing this alien and all this other stuff and you're like this is you you can tell it was a gratuitous attempt to include this character in a story and she made no, if you cut her out of that story, if you re-edited that episode and took every scene with her out, the outcome of the episode would have remained the same. Correct. And you get that with Detmer. And you get that, I mean, and they even took, they had some characters, like when they went off to, to go out, you know, outside the galaxy, they took some characters and removed them from the Discovery to go do other stuff so that they didn't have to deal with them in the writing. That's how bad it was. Yeah. And you don't care because you don't really like the character, so what does it matter if they're gone? And it's not a question of do I like them or not. It's I don't know enough about them because there are too many characters that I already don't care about. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even though it was kind of accidental, TOS brought characters in um, kind of slowly. And it started with, yeah, you were you were set decoration on the bridge. Uhura is a good example of that. Uh, Chekhov is a good example of that. Chekhov was deliberate. Well, he was deliberate, but the way they brought him into the show uh, initially was the first time you see him uh, in the first episode, because uh, you know he wasn't in the whole first season, he's just sitting at the navigator station and has no lines. It's not until later episodes within the second season that they start including him in, you know, and giving him dialogue. Um, you know, because in reality, the the TOS crew is really wrapped around four four characters and three minor characters. Right. You which know, is the way it should be. Which is the way it should be. Whereas Discovery is wrapped around two major characters, Saru and, 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 and Burnham, the captains. Because, again, we went back to that poorly thought-out decision like they had in the Star Trek movies where you had three captains on the Enterprise. You had Kirk, Spock, and Scotty as captain of engineering. Um, <clears throat> I won't go into that. But, you know, that concept that, okay, so Saru's also a captain, but he's the first officer, but then he he is the captain, and he, but... <laughs> you know, and... Uh, 
But you know the the show as really as as the Discovery crew, the main characters are you know her and and Saru, Burnham and Saru, and then you know you have seasonal characters who are more important than the rest of the crew. Jet Reno is is far more important than I think she was designed to be. Oh, absolutely. And well, what, well, what, what it I is, find interesting because about her is they, she's the only character that is LGBTQ dollar sign whatever that it's not like man I'm putting this in your face every week exactly well you you like her because she has witty dialogue when she's on she has witty dialogue yeah. she was um, uh, instrumental in the whole storyline this season I don't even know why they had Culber or Stamets on the show this season because as far as storyline goes they you could again another point where you could re-edit the season and take all of their scenes out, and the story would not be affected, for better or for worse from that. Stamets has no use in the show at all anymore. Now that the the mycelial network is yeah. no longer important and Discovery is really just a starship. Yeah. Well, the 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 other thing too that kind of, you know and, and like I said. You have these seasonal characters who are more important than the Discovery crew with Book and and his story this whole season, and then the president of the Federation and her story the whole season. Uh, and then you have the rest of the Discovery crew who they try to sprinkle throughout, and you know, and to to try to because they're they what they should have never done is given them names. <laughs> they should have just been set dressing. And, you know, well, even if they give them names, it's you can't treat them as. I mean, these guys are getting credit in the in the opening credits. credits. And yeah. I'm like, why? Exactly. What? What? Kevin, Kevin O'Reilly did not get a, a credit in the open that he's ever been as 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 vital to the show as these other guys are mm-hmm. in Discovery. There's no reason. There's no reason for that. It, it there just there just well, isn't. The other thing is, you know, third season they made such a big deal about bringing Blue Del Barrio, and uh, and Gray, yeah, you know, into the show and and trying to make that. And then they get rid of Gray after like the second episode of the the because again we have to get rid of characters so that we can have the storyline continue. And he doesn't make any sense as as being part of the story. Um, neither does not as Blue Del Barrio. She's just another crewman. She should again a character who should have never been given a name. <laughs> and what I mean that is, yeah, you have to say, well, Mister Mister, what's your name? <laughs> you know, open comms. But you know, that's as far as it needs to go. It doesn't need to be, hey, Le- Lieutenant Commander Detmer, what is your opinion on X, Y, and Z? <laughs> So that you can force them to have dialogue. (laughs) Their dialogue should all be, I, Captain. Yes, Captain. Um, That being said, the fifth season, which has already been planned for uh, Discovery, might be its last. Please. Because uh, Kurtzman did this big interview, and he talked about that, you know, with the five shows, you have 52 weeks in a year. And they're showing Star Trek for 50 weeks of the year. 
There's only two weeks of the year, and that's over Christmas where, well, it's over the holiday, Christmas holiday season, so Thanksgiving to Christmas and New Year's, where they don't air an episode of Star Trek. Two weeks. Um, <clears throat> they overlap uh, most of them um, by one episode. Uh, and with the in the case of Prodigy, we are still in the first season, and there's more episodes coming in the fall for the first season. And that is another thing that I just don't understand. I don't understand why they did what they did with Discovery and Prodigy. Yeah, this yeah. makes no <clears throat> sense. Yeah, that that was like a the programming issue, like original Trek, where they they ended up on CBS showing all the episodes out of order except yeah. for the pilot. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, but that being said. Um, where I was going with this is that he confirmed that the Michelle Yeoh Section 31 show is coming uh, it be, and he said that that would replace Picard which is ending after season 3 next year so we're really looking at a 2024 release of Section 31 whatever that show is going to be called uh, and there is he confirmed that there is a Starfleet Academy show and presumably, based on his comments, it's going to be wrap around the Discovery period of time and include Tilly as a main character and, and some things like that. You know, it, It's not going to be quite what we thought it was going to be. It's going to be more of like the rebuilding of Starfleet Academy. Um, Which I'm okay with. And, and I'm okay with. I think that's a good thing. You know, Particularly since Tilly was arguably my most favorite character besides Jet Reno. <laughs> She was my favorite yeah. character on Discovery. That you know, as the Discovery crew, Put it in low bar. Yes, very true. So that leaves if they, you can only run five shows a year with ten episodes in each show, roughly um, ten to twelve episodes, I should say. Then you're going to you have to eliminate another show, and you know, I think Discovery's probably run its course and. I think what they're also finding out is Discovery is not nearly as popular as their other... But again, it's by design. Yeah. It was designed to be hated. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a... I mean, that's not what they, they were really shooting for, but that's what they got yeah. with the design they chose. You You can't have a show that has... All the characters are a fraction of a fraction of one percent of the population, and say, well, "You got to have here it is in your the, face." The, like the, every the week. problem is, is for the show to be popular, you have to have characters that people care about. They, nobody cares about these characters. Correct. Correct. The the the, the fraction of the fraction of one percent of the population that identifies with those people love it. Exactly. And they should. But the, where's the show for the rest of us? Yeah. Oh, I guess. I'm supposed to wait for Strange New Worlds for yeah. that. Now, fair so enough. We've talked about SNW. We've talked about dis, uh, diversity. Diversity. <laughs> Let's talk about Picard. Let's, because man, so, that's been amazing. Picard has been so. The first season of Picard was okay. Was good, but I consider that more okay. It it was an homage to it. Unlike JJ Trek, it was a true homage to. The fans of TNG um, and Voyager and and DS9, which in reality were twenty one seasons of one show. Right. Well, theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. Um, but you know, we got Hugh back, and we we brought 
seven back and and uh, you know of course Picard and then they developed and, and why does Picard work same reason why lower decks works Picard works because there's five main characters and that you can identify with them all you know or I at mean, least some aspect back of them. them well I mean I love Chris Rios and yeah. why do I love Chris Rios one we share a name <laughs> but two uh, I mean I love Chris Pike too one of the reasons I like Chris Pike is because, hey, we share a name. We also like horses and, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, those are the things that, that are more generally identifying for making a character, character likable as opposed to we're adding characters to a story because we're subscribing to some kind of wokeism that requires that we create characters of certain classes. Correct. And I care more about that. Chris Pike likes horses <laughs> than I do that Jet Reno is is a yeah. lesbian, you know. Correct. Um, and it shouldn't matter. Those these things should not matter. matter. Yeah. Again, this is the thing that that, that, that kills me. That the show is about a crew of a starship. Yeah. They have to be competent. You have to understand that they know their jobs and they do their jobs well. And then anything else is it's icing. It, it, yeah, it, you know. But when you make the icing the whole cake. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, the, the, again, they have five characters. Rafi, well, they really have six, but but uh, Elnor the Elf I, isn't a real character. Man, I'm hoping his death sticks. I'm but, you know, you have Picard and Rios and Dr. Gerardi and Rafi and Seven. Five. You know, and this season is, it's been five because they kind of killed off Elnor after the first episode. Thank God. <laughs> um, and that's fine. And, and I'm fine too that if you had a character that existed in one season and then they kill them in the next, that's more realistic, particularly well, in the situations we're putting these characters in. Correct. Um, His death will mean more than him being in the season yeah. as a character. Yeah. He'll yeah. have far well, more impact. His, his death is the motivation for Rafi. Yes. You know, I mean, that, that's a plot point. Or, exactly. You know, um, but you have five characters. They all represent different things. and But you find things you like about them. I like the fact that Gerardi is an introvert. Yeah, me too. You know, and, and, and part of the reason I like the fact about it is because she represents a character that we see a lot in real life. And, but we see her having to interact with people. And I mean, there's some things that I just love about the character because it's done so well that I find annoying in real introverts in real life. <laughs> like the fact that when she gets nervous, she giggles. Yeah. You know, or she makes inappropriate jokes because they're funny to her, but they're so obscure, they're not funny to anybody else. Right. Um, and, you know, they've identified um, as a seasonal character. You know, you're. <clears throat> I, I even like the Borg Queen in this season. I do too. Uh, but I like I like her as an actress. I do too. But I mean, but her her acting as the Borg Queen and and as a foil to Girardi. Yeah. You know. But you you I like these characters. You identify with them. And even though it's a time travel season, which I'm, that trope is just getting old. Particularly since Star Trek created it and they continue to use it constantly. But I can forgive that because it's been excellent. The storyline has been excellent. The 
the the mysteries that have gotten revealed have been excellent. Uh, I like how they tied it back to TOS with Gary 7, with the Watchers. Uh, Spoilers ahead if, if you haven't watched it yet, but it's been just good storytelling and and i unlike matt i typically watch the episode and i when i watch it i turn the computer off i put my phone down i don't do anything but i watch it once i only go back to certain scenes if i was unclear about something and i i want to clarify matt will watch it he'll go do work for four or five hours and he'll come back and watch it again correct um but I'm ready to rewatch the whole season when it's done from start to finish again. Me too. I was not that way with the first season. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, you know, but I did it. Yeah. Just because it's like, you know, is there, is there an experience to be had by watching the whole thing binge well, style? Yeah. Well, you know, the, I, there are some things I do really like about the first season. So, Discovery had an excellent, I'm going to compare this to Discovery. Discovery had the excellent opportunity to develop the Romulan culture Mm -hmm. with the whole Navarre thing. Yes. They didn't do it. No. Picard season one develops things we don't know about the Romulans, who are are the most mysterious of the, the, you know, the enemy races uh, in season one. Yes. And you bring that forward and it makes that, because they've continued a little bit of that information, it makes it really, really, really interesting. I also like the juxtaposition of when Q changed time. And it's, you know, it's all based, we now know that it's based upon Rene Picard, who was a NASA astronaut, which I think is cool too. They tie it to NASA, you know, and it gives you a little more view about the Picard family, that they weren't always... They were always French, but they weren't always part of France. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's just good character development. It's good storytelling. It's good world building. And I think I see that within Strange New Worlds, but we don't see that in Discovery. I mean, there are characters... But that's because Discovery has an agenda, and it's not yours and mine. If you... Follow. Yeah, but I mean, good storytelling can can you can have an agenda and tell a good story. They <laughs> they need to they well, need to go to the. I mean, again, the burn was a good story. Yeah, but it wasn't told well. That's what I'm well, saying. Okay. And I even think the 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 DMA was a good story. story. It wasn't told well. But was it not told well because? The characters were inadequate for the well that the story that can absolutely be part of it. If you had t- if you had done the DMA and the burn, but you'd done it with Pike and, and Number One and all of them, it'd have been an excellent story because the motivations of the characters, how they handle things, would have been different. Done it DMA and with Picard's group again. The the because the characters were are are have better mo the, they're more developed they have motivations they have a history they have I mean if you really think about as much as we know about Burnham now compared to I know more about Chris Rios 
than I do Burnham. Burnham. Exactly. There's been no real character development of these characters other than this is we've done this. We we know about five facts about Burnham in the whole run of of TOS, we get even though there are big gaps in it, we get a good picture of who Kirk is and who McCoy is and who Spock is. You know, we don't we don't get any of those pictures with with Burnham. Even Scotty, to a lesser degree, you you even get a a better picture of of what motivates him and who he is. The the Sulu's Chekhovs and Ahuras maybe not so much, but they're minor characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would expect to know more about Saru. Than we well, do. oddly enough, I would say the most developed character in Discovery is Saru. Actually, we know more about Admiral Vance, who's been in two seasons, as a secondary sub-character, a seasonal character. Who doesn't even make the credits. Who doesn't make the credits than we do about Burnham. Correct. And this, and, is, and this is Spock's sister. Correct. I'm supposed to believe. Yeah, no, correct. And, and you know... We know all about Dr. Girardi. We know all about Chris Rios. We have a good picture. Well, we we have a big picture of Picard and Seven because they had seven seasons of their character. But we have great, great pictures of them. And we have a fairly decent picture of Rafi, you know. We, we know a lot more about what motivates her than we do about Burnham. What do we know about Burnham? We know that Burnham um, essentially started the Klingon Federation War. Yep. We know that her she was adopted by uh, Sarek and Amanda Grayson because uh, the outpost that she was living with and her parents was attacked. Uh, we have met her mother, who ended up becoming a what is the cult? Quizach Hidorok? Yeah. From Dune? Yeah. Quizach Hidorok. Yeah. You knew what I meant. <clears throat> so a witch, a Vulcan witch, Romulan witch, <laughs> the true Candor witch. Um, we don't know anything about her father, who she's named after. We actually, they're in Star Trek timelines, the, the game on iOS and Android, they actually give you a little more picture of him and that he was supposed to be a Section 31, because that's... Right. That he was a Section 31 officer, and that's why he was there and they were doing that research. Um, we know that she's fallen in love with Booker. Which I could do without, yeah. to be honest. And we know she likes to cry. A lot. A lot. But what else do we really know about her? I mean, her motivation in the whole first season of the show was to redeem herself. But then they redeemed her at the end of the... And she does not make a good captain. You know? She nudge, nudge, winks, winks her way through everything. I mean, I'm just saying. Character development is which, a big deal which, in Star Trek. Which makes Vance's decision to keep her on as captain is the only flaw I have seen in his character. Exactly. Exactly. But 
How else but would you? I think Vance is the only admiral in Starfleet. <laughs> and so I will say, I, and I may have said this before, he's the he's the first admiral to break the mold since Kirk. Yes. And you know which mold I'm talking about. Yeah, every Whether other admiral was, was corrupt. Or, corrupt. or corrupt. In some manner. Yeah. In some manner or another. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then going on from Picard just being a good show. And again, we'll probably talk about it at least one more time before the end of the season. Oh, I would think so. I'm sure with half of the season left to go, there will be something that will be like, man, we got to talk about that. Yeah, exactly. But let's move on to some other properties. I, I don't want to talk about Lower Decks and, and Prodigy. Lower Decks, I love. I, I, well, we will say a couple things about them. I love Lower Decks. I love the irreverence, but I also love the fact that they pay homage to all the previous shows, and they do it in such an irreverent manner. Like, like, uh, And they actually paid homage in that same episode in Season 1 at the very end to uh, the movie Serenity from Firefly because mm -hmm. the kids were in a school outside, kind of under the tents, and that was just like uh, what happened in Serenity. If you've ever seen that movie, it's a great movie. Um, and you can watch Serenity and not have watched all of Firefly and not be lost. They did a great job in when they, they did that movie. Um, so do you want to talk about the reboot at all? Well, we're going to get there. Okay. Uh, Prodigy, like I said earlier, I, I've enjoyed the show. Uh, we're starting to get a little bit bigger picture of the storyline. And they've definitely brought in the real Janeway as, as well as the, the holographic uh, first officer Janeway <laughs> uh, in the show. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to resolve those issues. Uh, I'm not going to go into the storylines on that. Watch Prodigy. You'll find you like it. Partly be, If you were not a Star Trek fan... Prodigy is probably the gateway show that might make you more interested in Star Trek. Because, oh, really? Well, and I'll tell you why. Because it's a science fiction cartoon, um, but it's only cursorily, and it's set in the Star Trek universe, but it's only cursorily about what most Star Trek shows are, and that's Starfleet. Mm, so it introduces you to the... I don't know. Their motivation is to be Starfleet. I know, but it's not it's not your traditional Starfleet show, you know, where there's an established captain and crew and and uh, you're learning about them. You're learning about these kids who are going to become a crew, you know. Um, but I, I think it's a good story and it's been entertaining to watch. And also, just remember, it's geared toward a younger audience. So, um, there's a lot of teenage drama type situations, <laughs> which is what I don't like. don't find yeah. appealing at all. But but it's still good storytelling. At least so far, it has been. Um, now let's talk about they're wanting to reboot Firefly. Disney of all people, because they bought Fox, who owns the rights to Firefly. I don't know how I feel about this because the reality of Firefly. Nathan Fillion. Without is, Nathan Fillion. You got it. Without uh, Nathan Fillion to be. Now, I, I could. Be, you could recast him, I suppose, and find some. 
But but it's how Ryan, many, how Ryan many? Reynolds could could maybe do that. Yes, but I don't think he he's, still he's beyond their their ability to pay Ryan Dead. Reynolds. Well, the that. problem is is I'd see. Firefly with Ryan Reynolds, and I'd see Deadpool standing there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, the the issue is as good a job as J.J. Trek did in finding Chris Pine to replace uh, William Shatner and finding Carl Urban to replace DeForest Kelly uh, so that from a suspension of disbelief a, a, on those two characters, you 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 feel like they're still Kirk and McCoy. Uh-huh. They didn't do that with... Zachary Quinto does not make a good Spock. And as much as I love Simon Pegg, he makes a terrible Scotty. Um, and then, you know, on the shows, they were able to make a great Spock with Ethan Peck as a younger Spock. I feel like when, when he acts and he does the things, you feel that he is Spock. There's enough human... He's mostly Vulcan, but there's enough human in... His story that, you know, like the real Spock. Um, but that's really hard to do. And a lot of actors, when they come into a role, they want it to be their role. They right. don't want to have bookends on, on how the character should act. And with the irreverence that existed... And, and it wasn't just irreverence. Nathan Fillion... <laughs> was able to make Malcolm Reynolds such a real person because not only was he kind of irreverent about everything, but he was, you could tell underneath, even though he acted like he was a bumpkin to a degree, that he was very well educated, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there were, you know, to use the onion analogy, as you're peeling away the, the onion, there were new things that Nathan Fillion was bringing to that character. And so, again, good character development. Um, Disney's not into that. Because the problem... Be, I would be happier with this project if they were going to say, this is a whole new ship with a brand new crew. It's just it takes place in the same universe. But the, the but prob- they, they won't do that. The problem is, is there were so many characters... Not only did the cast gel, yeah, but all the characters were that way. Yeah. Jane, yeah, you know, and you can't assemble wash. you can't assemble that that cast now. No, I mean, think about it. They've all gone on to do much bigger things. Well, and, and you know, even even uh, book uh, Ron uh, Washington Washington was it Washington? I think it was. Well, but he, you oh, know, no, 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 Ron Glass. Glass, Ron Glass, who played Book. Yeah, he passed away. Yeah, you know, so there is no replacing him, and you know, the, and or there's no bringing him back. Back, exactly. Uh, even if they rebooted the show from scratch, um, but yeah, I, you know, how do you, Jewel State? You're never going to get her to come back and be Kaylee again. Although. Out of that entire cast, she's probably the most likely. Yes, I agree. Only because the other things that she's done has been sci-fi related. 
Yeah. I haven't really seen her in anything. Well, the, else. the other problem is, is so it, if you say, I mean, Disney has the money. They could, they could bring them back. Um, except for Nathan. Except, yeah, they probably could not get Nathan. They, they couldn't get Nathan Fillion back. I, I, as much as I know he would love to do it, yeah, I don't think they could afford it. No, 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 no. Well, and you know he's gone on. He went from success to success to success. So he he, he was unknown and made a name for himself in Firefly, and then he goes and does nine seasons of Castle. Castle. And now he's what are we on season four or five? Three or four, I think of of, of rookie. rookie. You know, and he's continued, and and yeah, there are similarities between the characters. So there's a little bit of typecasting going on. But the reality of it is, is all the characters were different. The only thing that's probably a common thread, well, and it's not even a common thread even in The Rookie, in between Firefly and Castle, Castle was irreverent. Yeah. You know? But between Firefly and The Rookie, it's more of the... Actually, the last episode of The Rookie was... uh, uh, they even said, "Take your Midwestern charm and <laughs> yeah, yeah." And he goes, "Well, I'm not from the Midwest." And she looks at him, you know. <laughs> but you know that 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 Nathan Fillion or or Malcolm Reynolds had that Midwestern charm that right. he shared. But Castle didn't have that Midwestern charm. He played yeah. him as like a real New Yorker would be a privileged exactly. New Yorker, you know. Um, he's got some range, and he's, you know. Uh, one of my favorite Shakespeare plays is Much Ado About Nothing. And um, Kenneth Branagh and, and uh, oh, what's her name? But the Kenneth Branagh version from the late 80s, early 90s is excellent. But a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, they did a uh, modern take of Much Ado About Nothing, and Nathan Fillion is one of the main characters in it. Oh. Wow. It's in, they filmed it in black and white. It, it, it's really kind of a neat concept. They were all in between different things. All the actors in the right. They filmed it over a weekend oh, nice. in black and white. Wow! And it's it's kind of uh, kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet, which mm-hmm. is also very good. Yeah. They used the traditional language and lines, but they set it to a modern wedding. Right. And did it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful movie because you know Shakespeare it, it it setting does not matter it is the words that matter and the meaning behind the words and and you know I think people who don't appreciate Shakespeare are people who don't understand or don't appreciate language right um, but he was able to do that and it's just he actually he plays the sheriff in in the that version and if you remember the sheriff, uh, Michael Keaton plays the sheriff in the Kenneth Branagh version, and the sheriff is a little bit bumbly and mm-hmm. and and all the lines are very funny because as a comedy, Much Ado About Nothing is closer to funny comedies today than than what they used to call a comedy back then. Of course, and so I agree with you with the breadth and skill, and he's done Broadway and other things too. It would be very hard to draw him back to that show um at least on a multi-seasonal basis but then you also have to look at the age of the characters at this point too you know um my concern with disney rebooting outside of not having the uh, uh the cast because 
the again, the characters have already been developed. You, you're not if the show is going to be successful, you're not going to take away the character traits. That's that's the draw. Yeah. Is that you're going to find actors who can act like Nathan Fillion and all of them um, from the original, but you know, <clears throat> uh, you're going to put them in new situations. My fear is is that they were going to change the universe too, yeah. because the Firefly Serenity universe was so much different than other science fiction properties, in that there were no aliens. Correct. Once you learn that the Reavers... Which are not aliens, yeah. Aliens, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, that that's a big change in how um, you tell that story and stuff. They're also looking at rebooting Battlestar Galactica again, which I have really hard time with. Um, I've also heard that there's some Stargate... Yeah, I have I've heard that too. But I've heard that that the Stargate Rumblings is more like adding another you know series to the Stargate universe. Not True. trying to reboot Stargate SG-1 or Stargate Atlantis or and retell those stories again. It's But again, that's because you're dealing with the original creators uh, of the of that franchise, yeah. you know, not like it's Disney taking it over and saying, "Here JJ, here's a universe you can play in." You know that's that's not what's happening here. This yeah, is, this is Amazon saying, "Hey guys, uh, you have a really cool property there." We, we well, like it to was buy actually it. the property. The reason yeah. Amazon bought Universal, exactly. And yeah, you're right. You're very right there. Um, I don't know. Um, I have heard things rumblings about it, but again, like the Battlestar Galactica, there's not a lot of detail. Um, but the only thing about Battlestar Galactica is, again, it's another retelling of the same story. But at least that one makes sense because of what Ron Moore did with it and said, hey, man, we've told this story before and we're going to tell it again. Yep. And, oh, we're going to tell it yet again. Yeah, well, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so long as you stay true to the, to the, to the spirit of what the show is, is supposed to be about... I well, have no problems well, with that. What I think Ron Moore ended up doing with his version of, of uh, Battlestar Galactica and subsequently the prequel uh, Caprica series was... Was he involved in that? Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't think he directed it or wrote any of it, but he was like an executive producer still. And I think okay. part of that was... But that was when Sci-Fi officially owned the property. So right. there... But if you haven't watched Caprica, it's still good. And it doesn't break anything in the... doesn't really add anything either, really. It doesn't. If you didn't watch it, it doesn't affect the, the Battlestar Galactica story. It, it was a little gratuitous that, well, we want to keep this... I mean, in it was kind of like Battlestar Galactica 90210. Yeah. But, you know, the thing about Ron Moore and what I loved about his, his retelling of Battlestar Galactica... Is that he changed the the underlying motivation of the show mm -hmm. from the original '70s series, which is 
We were driven out of our home by the AI that we created, and we're searching for the lost 13th colony, which was Earth. That was the original storyline. Yep. And he took that, and he goes, okay, they did that. And guess what? We keep repeating the same mistakes as humans, and that's the storyline. Yes. And so every time we develop an AI, the AI turns on us, and this whole process starts over again. Come with me if you want to live. Live. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what was cool about his story and how he ended it. And I also like the fact that, you know, in essence, they, you know, he, he kept the religious part in it. The original Battlestar Galactica, they used a lot of the Mormon um, religious iconography and stories to kind of tell this 13 tribes and, and all of this stuff. And what I liked about the Ron Moore version is he kept that, but then he added more of the traditional biblical part of it, you know, Christianity part. Um, where we were, you know, and, and a lot of it was the Genesis stuff. So we were made in the image of our creator. Well, the AI ended up becoming human and interbreeding with humans, but they were made in the image of humans, which were their creator. And, you know, just shows it as this big cycle. And uh, I agree with you. I, I think it turned out extremely well. And if so, but because of that, you could actually start telling the story over again, even with the same character names. But, you know, knowing that at the end it's gonna gonna do, you know, we're gonna make the same mistakes again. Yes. Yes, exactly. The other thing I've heard uh, is NCIS got its renewal for twenty I for its twentieth season. I'm. I, now, I, I will tell you this. I was not super happy when they... I like Gary Cole. Mm-hmm. I loved him when he was in the uh, the Babylon 5... Me too. Uh, you know, universe and all of that. But... Crusade. Yeah, Crusade. I did not... I was not happy that they brought him in to replace Gibbs. But I was elated that Mark Harmon was stepping away from the role because he was becoming obviously too old to do that job. Um, and I felt that way about Fresnel a long time ago, <laughs> yeah. but they brought him back in the last episode. So I, I just scratching my head going, but at least they're making his character. Well, he's no longer FBI. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like a private investigator and I don't think he's doing very well at that either. No, 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 no. But, um, I've really come to enjoy his character over the season because I think my fear was is that they were going to, you know, if Mark Harmon stepped away, they were going to put in another Gibbs-like character because that that's kind Which of... they've made a very strong point to, to show that Parker is, is not, not Gibbs. Gibbs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Parker does not spout rules. As a matter of fact, he breaks more rules than, than he spouts... But he's in, a, in he's honor much more honorable in many ways than Gibbs is. Um, well, he has his own code. Let's yes, put it that way. Yeah, or a different code. And I, I love the fact that you know he talks about he's like 
I actually identify better with him than I did the Gibbs character, who I loved, mm-hmm. but identify with him because he talks about food all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we need to go to Hawaii so we can get this. <laughs> you know. And I like that he embraces technology even though he struggles with it. You know, I mean, like they've got that app that they all use, and it's it never works right. Yes. You know, and that I think that's. But I like the fact that unlike Gibbs, he's willing to embrace technology, and that's what I'm saying. So he's, the, he's yeah. not Gibbs yeah. by any stretch. Yeah. No, because I was I like you. I was a, a little little leery that they were gonna. And, and now I have and... have not watched the last episode of NCIS Hawaii. Because I love Tennant's character. Mm-hmm. And they they did something with her character that I don't think it doesn't it doesn't affect her character or the way I like her. But every special agent in charge, whether it's it's Parker or uh, Pride or uh, now Tennant or NCIS Los Angeles is a little different because they're the special operations group, mm-hmm. so they didn't have to do this. But they're all tied to Jethro Gibbs in some way, you know. Callan knew Gibbs. Yeah, I knew that. But you know what I'm saying. And their original, uh, their original Hetty knew Gibbs. Gibbs, yeah, yeah. But they don't really, they don't really need that anymore. Um, Particularly since the Gibbs character is gone, it, it, it's a plot device that they don't need to bring on another show. But I, I have enjoyed so far the. It's it's probably the best storyline and best character development for Fez. Is <laughs> this this cross show, two parter? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean this cross show two parter is is. Uh, been interesting because it it actually makes Fez's character it, well it, it's developing Fez's and um, Tenet's characters more, which is what you want. Um, well, that's what you need in a crossover episode. Yes, I mean, really. Well, and, and they they did it in a good way, and that is their shared experience between Fez and Tenet, and they're making more they're, they're developing their characters through that shared experience with them together and you know that probably the last few seasons there hasn't been enough crossover with um the different series as much you know well i think it's because once uh once they shut down nola L.A. doesn't really lend itself to that. I mean, they've done it before, but it it's really a stretch. Mm-hmm. And L.A. doesn't really need it. Hawaii, I think, at this point, still needs to, to, to tie itself to the larger universe. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, and, and, you know, the saddest part of that whole universe the NCIS universe and you know the fact that we're getting NCIS or Australia which is an interesting concept considering that the US Coast Guard and Navy patrol Australia's coasts for them uh, a lot of people I don't think know that 
but that's an important part of the story. Um, so there would be agents at sea and there would probably be a small contingent, you know, working in, in Sydney and uh, Sydney Harbor and stuff like that. That potentially makes the show a little more interesting because it's a different take on, on uh, the, you know, the situations that the characters can be in. Um, which, you know, they kind of ran out of... It, two things happened with NOLA. And that was... <clears throat> they kind of ran out of storylines. Ran out of kingpins? Yeah. And then they kind of, you know, they... To spice things up, they, they killed some main characters off, like Chris, that the show really never recovered from. They, they, they never... The people that they brought in to replace were never as well-developed or well-liked as him. LaSalle was going to be hard to replace. Yeah. I mean... Say, but, what you, say what you want well, about Pride. I like Pride. I liked Pride, but LaSalle was my favorite character. Exactly. Well, the, the, the reason you loved LaSalle is you watched him grow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Pride got to be special agent in charge of the whole region and all that, you know, the sack and, and all of that. But the problem is, is they then got rid of LaSalle and Pride was the only character who people really identified with. And, and, but you know, the, the beauty of the LaSalle character was that you watched him go from being a junior agent who had been a sheriff's deputy to you know, becoming the, the second and, you know, a senior agent outside of the special agent in charge of that whole group. You also, one of the things that was really cool about um, NOLA was that in the first couple of seasons, it was Pride LaSalle and I forget the... Brody. Brody. The girl. Yeah, who, who had been in NCIS as an incidental character in a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just the three of them, which was a totally different dynamic. What's funny about her is, as an actress... Uh -huh. She goes all the way back to Jack. Oh, really? I didn't realize yeah. that. Uh, she she's played a couple of characters in the universe uh, before coming to Brody. Yeah, but that being said, um, that was a different take than the normal NCIS or NCIL uh, uh, SLA office, where they not only do you have your your four or six main agents, but then you had a whole support team and and all of this. You know, LA is probably the biggest but you know even when you go to to uh, regular NCIS where they're you know they work out of the Naval Research Laboratory buildings you know they have their own forensics team and they have whereas Pride had to use uh, and again what made NCIS New Orleans really good the first couple of seasons is there were five characters Pride LaSalle Brody um, Doc Wade Doc Wade and um it was her assistant who eventually became, yeah, you know, an, an agent. But by the time the show ended, you then had um, you had four main agents uh, besides Pride, and then you still had Doc Wade. Uh, but then you also had added a uh, um, the guy in the wheelchair, Daryl. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there were, uh, they started having background agents in the office. You know, people who were like guarding the, you know, bringing people, kind of like NCIS, because NCIS Los Angeles, um, 
<clears throat> you know, there's all kinds of unnamed characters or, or characters where they mention, hey, thank, you know, thanks, Johnson. I'll take it from here. You know, and all they're doing is if they're an agent, you know, they're or, or somebody. Or yeah. Something. Take them to the boathouse, Johnson. We'll meet you there. You know, and then they see now on Star Trek diversity that 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 would be a credited character. I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's so so odd about that is so you have shows like diversity. That's a paramount pro- property. And then you have shows like Yellowstone, which is a paramount property. And if you've not watched Yellowstone and its prequel, 1883, you are missing. I've watched the prequel. I've not some watched great Yellowstone yet. Storytelling with characters that the you, prequel was heartbreaking. Oh, I know. Well, they're coming out with a second seat. Well, they said they're they've ordered more episodes of 1883, but they don't know if they're gonna do like five episodes and add to it, or they're gonna do a whole second season. But then they're doing a 1934 yeah. Taylor, you know, and which is another prequel that you know, kind of is. They're trying to fill in all the gaps from 1883 up to Yellowstone, and Yellowstone's obviously already been renewed for its fifth season. Um, and the the thing about Yellowstone is is that again, it's good storytelling. It's characters you can identify with. And the characters are not always likable. Beth Dutton, you kind of, for the most part, you until you understand her, her character, you know, the history and what's happened to her, you're like, I really hate this bitch. You know, it's kind of like uh, Londo and Jakar on Babylon 5. Yes. You know, you, you start with a... Bad taste in your mouth. About... Both of them. Yeah. And then you find out in the end who the real enemy is and, and who isn't. Uh, I, I, I like it when shows do that. Yeah. Because it shows that these characters have gone somewhere well, and their motivations and, and, mean you know, something. And Yellowstone, what's funny about this show is there are a lot of characters in Yellowstone, but they do such a good job with the treatment of the characters and the storylines about them that you tend to care about a larger group, you know, because they, the first season you pretty much, there's like five or six characters you care about and they kill one of them off. And that's the oldest Dutton boy. And as time goes on, they introduce you to, and, and develop more of the farm hands and the people and why they're there with the Duttons and why they haven't left. And, and all kinds of things, and you really, the, the funny thing about it is, is it makes you question uh, the motivations of a lot of what you do based upon seeing what they do, and motivations about how you think about your the responsibility of like, if you owned a big ranch and you had all these employees, do you treat these people like family? Do you treat them like employees? Do you treat them in a hybrid mode? You know, what makes the employees loyal to the ranch and to the owners of the ranch? And uh, and then the other part of it I like about it is to protect the ranch, they've gotten into politics. And you watch why, you know, what positions they choose to take, why they choose to take them. 
how that protects what's going on. Um, it's really, really well thought out. And, and Taylor Sheridan, you know, he's actually in the show. He plays a recurring incidental character. But even his character is kind of important. And, uh, I mean, not besides 1934, is it 1934 or 1936? I'd have to look that one back up. But, but it's that time period. He's also doing another spinoff called The Four Sixes, which is based on the character Jimmy, who uh, John Dutton III, who's the owner of Yellowstone, um, fulfills a promise to an old friend who is this kid's grandfather and this kid has gotten into drugs and and stuff and he brings him on as a farmhand and they kind of beat the shit out of him and knock some sense into him but he turns out to be good and he sends him down to a ranch in texas called the four sixes and the kid falls in love and he finds that that's really the place for him and so he's set for the rest of his life and so now they've they've taken the show and they've taken this incidental character and made him a main character in another show. And I, I'm assuming there's a couple other characters, I'm not going to spoil it, who will come from the main Yellowstone down to the Four Sixes because there's a whole love triangle thing going on. So I, that's not resolved at this point. Um, but, it, again, good storytelling. It, it's one of those shows that when I quit watching an episode, it, it, very much like Picard has been this season, when I stop watching an episode... I am anticipating, and and I'm not watching other TV because I want to watch that so badly yeah. because the story is so good. Yeah. And speaking of bad stories, um, I think a show, and this is going to be an odd one, that I, and I think we'll end on this, that I think needs to be rebooted is the Orville. Ooh. Well, and, and, and there's some reasons why. Seth MacFarlane, I don't think, is interested in the show anymore. He's moved on. He doesn't work for Fox anymore. Um, he's moved a lot of his properties over to, I forget where he went, but uh, the Orville uh, was still, is still a Fox property, which means it's under Disney control. They were supposed to, when, when um, Picard season two was supposed to air, the same day this next season of the Orville was supposed to air, which is supposed to at least continue this alternate universe time travel storyline that's going on. I think it was a mistake for the Orville to use that Star Trek trope. <laughs> Because it's not as good as it's been done. And I mean, the funny thing is, is th that whole storyline, which has already been half a season, half a season two, and which is going to be at least all of season three, was one episode of Star Trek Voyager. And I think the reason they postponed it is because season two of Picard is a similar storyline. An event changed. And it changed the whole universe. And frankly, I think it's going to be hard to follow up on Picard season two with that storyline with the third oh, season of Hulu. Seth MacFarlane is no Sir Patrick Stewart. No. You know, if those are the chops, yeah, those are the chops. 
no 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 uh, no disrespect to Seth or the Orville, but yeah. it's no Picard. Well, the other issue is is it, the problem is is we've had two seasons of Picard, we've had lower decks, we've had we've had all this other stuff that's happened in between the end of the second season of the Orville and the years later of the third season that's going to happen. And I don't care anymore. And don't forget, yeah. (laughs) I don't care anymore. When Orville was on network television, it was the only Star Trek we had. Yep. That's no longer the case. And it's not like Galaxy Quest, you know, it's... It's not a movie. It's not that endearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem is, is... And and I totally get it. Seth MacFarlane loved Star Trek. He was in Enterprise as a recurring character. He wanted to do something that was an homage to something he loved or an homage. But he also wanted to do something that was more like Lower Decks and was a little irreverent Mm -hmm. and had some comedy to it. And now we don't need that. And we don't need that because we have Lower Decks. Who can do it better because they have the rights to draw on all the other Star Trek properties. Yes. Um, And I think largely people have forgotten about the Orville. If I were Disney, you know, they've already postponed it. I might tell... But they've spent so much on it already. Yeah, that's true. They have to just... They're going to have to dump that on on Hulu at, like, the equivalent of 2 a.m. on a Saturday night. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's... Admit that this was not going to be what they... Well, here's what I think they ought to do. And I know they have money tied up in the production of the third season. Throw it on Hulu. Don't string it out as one of these where I'm going to show an episode a week. Dump the whole third season, let people binge watch, watch it, and let that be the end of this version of the Orville. I don't even know that I need a reboot. If I were them and they wanted to continue with something that was different or than the Star Wars universe stuff. And see, that's the other problem. Disney owns Star Wars. And the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian have been good shows. Although... The Book of Boba Fett is anything about Boba Fett. <laughs> it's the Book of Sand People. It's the Book of the Mandalorian. It's, you know. <laughs> the Book about anybody but Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. Um, but that being said, they have a good staple of, and, and some of the new stuff like the Obi-Wan Kenobi has potential uh, of new Star Wars science fiction properties to tell those stories. But they could reboot it. And using the folks they have doing the Marvel Universe and Star Wars stuff, do a more serious science fiction tale. Now, because the, the other issue I think they're having with Orville is when it was Fox, it was kind of a one-off and, and Paramount was not using their trademarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so suing somebody over something that's similar would have been it it just wouldn't have made sense to spend the money to litigate but now that they have all this trek out there 
and I think that that could have been a reason why they pushed off. Um, that they may have to have re-edited and reshot some of the the season three of of the Orville in order to make sure that they were different enough that they could fend off some kind of attack. Because we know that Paramount and CBS have done that in the past. Look at the whole Axenor project, which was looked like it was going to be fantastic. Um, I think the Orville, you know, <laughs> they might have gone, oh, this is way too much Star Trek in our show. We need to change some of this. And I think that's going to be the end of the Orville if they don't reboot it as something more Disney-esque that's much different. Something that, and, and they could do it in a different way. One, they could do something that's much more serious and and be a real sci-fi show. Roll Orville in, you know, the concept of the Orville into a Star Wars series. Just put it in the Star Wars universe instead of the Star Trek type universe. Um, do it as an animated series. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I would feel differently about that if there was a huge clamoring for it. But like I said, once who owns Sequest? Uh, Universal. See, that's one Sequest. Amazon deserves, should reboot. Yeah, it deserves, it a, deserves reboot. a reboot. I mean, you couldn't. I guess Don Franklin is still alive. Yeah, but he's like old. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I saw him in was The Rookie. That's right. That's right. I knew I'd seen him recently. But, you know, that being said, that's a, a science fiction series that deserves a reboot. It does. And, it and particularly as cutting edge as it was at the time, with today's technology, it could be so much better. But again, my, my view on Sequest is you can't do what they ultimately did with it. And that's, no, no, no. no. That, you got to stick to the first season of... Keep it a serious, science-y based show. Yeah. Don't let it get nuts. Yeah. Well, that was... That's a good example of what not to do as you develop a popular show. The other thing they did wrong between the second, first and second season was change about half the cast. Uh, well, that's because they were trying to appeal to a younger audience, so yeah. all the older characters were, were canned. Yeah. Well, you remember um, when Enterprise came out, the guys who were executive producing Enterprise were struggling with the fact that CBS wanted them to do. The reason there were so many scenes shot in the like mess hall area was that they were wanting them on Enterprise. And, and you could have never done this and told, I mean, and, and told even a good story. Because you could never explain it. But they wanted to have it like they were going to highlight a group in the mess hall playing live music every episode. Mm -hmm. So that they could entice younger viewers. So it was going to be like taking Star Trek and the monkeys and putting them together. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But they had signed up. I, I forget who they had. I, I, CBS was trying to get a lot of these nascent young groups. And so I think they had the Joe Bros. And... Uh, 98 degrees, I think they had lined up. And it's like, you know, the executive producer was like, stop. But that's why that set was built out so much, was yeah. because the intention was that it was going to be a focus of five minutes of a 20-minute, a well, 
a 40 minute show, you know, when you have 20 minutes of commercials in every episode. Well, I think we've beat the entertainment path to death. Let us know what you think. If there's something uh, you want us to look into or uh, particularly a pop culture show or video game or whatever, let us know. Send us some feedback to gizmosapiens at gmail.com and we'll see you on the digital flip side. Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.